So that's what I'm mostly going to speak about this morning, the parable we've just heard. And it's been a weekend of parties and celebration. Yesterday, there was a wedding here when Isabel, the daughter of Rosie and Julian Coates, was married to Craig. I'm told that Rosie's three daughters were all married at All Saints, as was Rosie herself to Julian, as was Rosie's own parents. So that's pretty impressive, isn't it? And next week, Pete and Lynn Ward's daughter is being married here. On Friday night, as many of you know, there was a memorable sort of retirement party for Pam, with lots of people coming to say and sing thank you uh, to her. And next week, there's going to be a special presentation to her, so don't forget to put the box at the back there. You didn't hear that, Pam. Also on Friday was the wedding of Princess Eugenie and Jack Brooksbank. Now, I didn't boast about this, but I did have an invitation to this wedding. In fact, I had two or three. Um, But I replied saying, Dear Duke of York, thank you for your invitation to your daughter's wedding. Sadly, I will be unable to come as I have a sermon to prepare for all saints, (laughs) which I'm sure you will agree is far more important than attending a royal wedding. However, I do hope that it's a very happy day for all concerned, and I trust that my absence will not spoil the celebrations or dampen the atmosphere. Yours sincerely, etc. Well, by your laughter, I sense that some of you don't believe that I had an invitation, or that if I had, I would have replied in that manner. And you would, of course, be right on both counts. Uh, That said, I have actually stayed in the grounds of Windsor Castle, close to St. George's Chapel. There's a conference centre there, it's at the end of that picture there, known as St. George's House, which hosts select groups, you mind, of people on various ethical, uh, for conferences on ethical and various topics. And I once spent a weekend there uh, at one of those events, and I seem to remember going into the crypt of Windsor Castle for a posh dinner on the Saturday night, where the speaker was George Carey, then Archbishop of Canterbury. And I remember this anecdote from his talk, nothing else but this anecdote, which goes like this. He says, in the 1950s, there was a school reunion uh, at a public school for those who'd left some years ago. It might even have been Moncton Coombe, for all I know, and some of the old boys had risen to positions of prominence in national life. Uh, But the old schoolboy rivalries had not entirely been forgotten. And after the reunion, two middle-aged gentlemen were standing on the nearby station platform, which might have been the old Moncton Coombe Halt, I don't know, uh, for the train to Bath and then to London. One was a bishop, the other was a vice-admiral, and both were wearing their regalia, their uniforms, as it were, of their positions. At one point, the uh, rather portly bishop, dressed in his Episcopal cloak and cassock and all the rest of it, um, and who'd heartily disliked the vice-admiral when he was at school, turned to him, knowing full well he was, and said, um, I say, station master, when is the next train due? <laughs> uh, to which the vice-admiral replied, uh, in a few moments, madam, but should you be travelling in your condition? Well, all of that, weddings and celebrations and parties and the fancy dress, is a link, believe it or not, to the parable that Jesus told. Or maybe the two parables that have been compressed together here in Matthew 22. It's all about wedding parties, 
invitations, spurned invitations, as well as the need to be properly dressed if you do turn up, as Mark was talking about earlier with the children. And I've got six W's to help you remember the th- the, uh, my talk. You'll be relieved to know that they come in pairs, so there's only three main points. After I've told you the first two, if you want to go off piste as I'm talking and try to work out what the other ones are, you're welcome to do. The first two are my wonderful, um, oops, uh, there's one, it's got out of order, that one. My wonderful wedding. Right. Jesus began this story, as he often did, with these familiar words. The kingdom of heaven is like. Not the same, but like. And in this story, a king has planned a banquet to be attended by scores or hundreds of people. Probably a banquet or a party that went on for days because it was to celebrate the wedding of his son and the custom in the Middle East was for wedding celebrations to go on for a week or more. And because he was a king, this was a royal occasion with all the pomp and circumstance that you can imagine. You can't always find an exact equivalence in parables between this person and that person, but you don't have to look very far, do you, to think that this might be, is a picture of God the Father throwing an enormous party for his son and inviting many guests to it. It is one of the pictures describing to us what eternal life is like, what it is to experience life in Christ and the love of God, which we've been singing about this morning. And it is one of the crucial pictures that is given to us in Scripture. Because at the heart of the Christian life is all the joy and laughter and fun and emotion of a wedding. The ceremony itself, when the church or tent is all decorated, people dressed in their finest, tears flow when the bride enters and when they make their vows, there's laughter and applause in the speeches afterwards, teasing and joking, music and dancing, good food and wine. And that is what the kingdom of heaven is supposed to be like, not not later when we get there, when we've died, but now, here, in this present time. That is what it's supposed to be like. We had all that, or lots of that, on Friday night, didn't we? Tears and joy and laughter and jokes and dancing and singing and wine, all those things. And I expect they had it yesterday in spite of the blustery wind and rain. I don't know if you remember a few years ago, well, you've just seen it, so you will remember it, a controversial poster on a bus which read, there's probably no God, so stop worrying and enjoy your life. The implication being that if you think there is a God, it just adds to the list of worries and the end ends your enjoyment. Because so many people believe that religion or belief in God leads to guilt and fear and division and problems. And we have to admit that there are plenty of versions of religion, some of them Christian, which have done just that. Often Christians have a reputation for accentuating the negative. An American humorist described Puritanism as the haunting fear that someone, somewhere, might be happy. (laughs) 
And most people think of religion as a series of shout nots rather than do's. And another cynic said, all religions are just guilt, but with different holidays. (laughs) Sadly, Christian life and experience has been seen about dullness and rules and restriction and seriousness. But to see those things as being at the heart of our Christian faith is a distortion of God's intentions. The first three fruits of the Spirit, as you know, are love, joy, peace. The first three, that is what are supposed to be blossoming in our lives when we invite Christ into our lives. What's not to like about love, joy, and peace? The gospel is first and foremost not about saving us from judgment or hell or giving us faces that look as if we've just drunk a pint of lemon juice mixed with vinegar. Absolutely not. God is delighted when human beings enjoy all that he has created for them in the physical world and in the spiritual world. That is why a wedding, both the ceremony and the vows and the feast afterwards, is such a good picture of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven is indeed like a wedding. Now, all that said, of course, in the run-up to weddings, as I'm sure many of you know, can be a little bit fraught at times. And one of the trickiest issues is the invitation list. Who to invite? How many will the budget stretch to? Shall we have some to the sit-down lunch and a few more to the disco and sausage rolls in the evening? Who in the family do we really have to invite? How many of mum and dad's friends have to come? Uh, Well, we got invited to her wedding, so I suppose we better invite her to ours. Have you ever been party to those questions and dilemmas? But thank God, that is not a problem in this story, nor in the Christian life. In this banquet, there are no restrictions on who can come. Anyone, everyone is invited and is welcome to this wedding. Now, of course, it is true, and I might get to that a little bit later, there were people who were first on the list, but when these wouldn't come, the invitation was thrown wide open. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? And the wedding hall was filled with guests. There's a similar, you know, but not identical story in Luke to this. And I guess that Jesus went around, like a lot of preachers, he would have told the same story several times on different occasions and tweaked it and adjusted it to his audience. And Luke has a slightly different take on it. So the master of the feast says there, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, says the servant, what you have done has been, uh, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Wouldn't it be wonderful if this house is full? Three services on a Sunday. We look forward to that day. The invitation is to the good, the bad, the ugly. 
the rich, the poor, healthy and sick. It's not confined to class or caste, nationality, education, lack of morals, high morals, your bank balance at anything at all. The invitation is come and follow me to everyone. Now in case because you read you know the parable well, you're a little bit troubled by well it does seem to have been an A list, doesn't there? And then there's the B and C list and we're on the as Gentiles on the B and C list. Um, well actually this is where the parable breaks down a bit. God does not have a B list of invitees and a C list of invitees. Peter, the apostle, used to think like that. That is the way they had been brought up. But God showed him very clearly through the encounter with the centurion Cornelius that it isn't like that. When Peter sees down there in Joppa what God is doing in the life of Cornelius and his household, he exclaims, and these are some of the most important words in the New Testament, I now realize, he says, how true it is that God does not show favoritism. He does not have a B, C, D list of invitees. He accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. We, no one is there just to make up the numbers. Not at all. It was always the eternal purpose from the very beginning that all humanity should be invited to the feast. So far, so good. All very cheery stuff, isn't it? Very heartening stuff, and I hope there are some of you here who need to know that and that this is important for you today. I hope that that is what the people on the Alpha Course are getting from the Alpha Course. But, there are some tricky elements in this parable, aren't they? So, my third pair of W's is a word of warning. We've had the best bits, the bits that reassure and comfort. God's invitation is to everyone, and it is an invitation to the best kind of life. Fantastic, truly amazing grace. But if that's all there is, then you're leaving out chunks which are quite difficult. What does the king do to those people who ignore the invitation and then murder the messengers? Well, he acts in kind. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Ouch. And then at the end, there's the story of the poor chap who's been brought in from the streets and is not dressed for the occasion. What happened to him? The king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh dear. This is where we all feel a bit comfortable. As I study the passage, you think, oh Lord, do I leave that out or do I deal with it? Because we've got today to recognize our big picture story of God who loves to go on loving and giving and forgiving and accepting, which we see in that parable, alongside this picture of a king who matches deed for deed the wicked deeds of the uh, guests. Now, I'm not going to be able to answer that in full. Mark said he would do that after the service. <laughs> He's got all the answers. But I do want to say two things. First of all, 
that particular parable and those things have been a problem for lots of commentators who've tried to look at it um, there and some of them have come up with some answers and I could go into a longer answer but uh, uh, maybe not now. Secondly, uh, it is true that in the Gospels there are many things that Jesus said which are designed to build us up but there are plenty of things too which if we look them squarely in the eye ought to make us feel a little bit uncomfortable and challenged they might challenge our lifestyle our commitment our sense of who Jesus is nowadays there is a tendency to filter out all the difficult challenging bits and just focus on the softer bits in the past maybe it wasn't so previous centuries of Christians presented an image of God as a God of wrath and punishment and that was a distortion. But there is a danger of seeing God only, only as a loving friend. My, kind of my best mate theology. Both are distortions. So that's why there's a word of warning. And the best sense I can make of this is, is if you choose, anyone chooses to treat with indifference the invitation from God, or worse, to treat it with hostility and try to repress it, stamp it out, as many have done down through the ages, there will be consequences. The first, of course, is that you are missing out on the gift of life itself. And if having been invited and you decide to come, you don't accept the offer of clothes to wear, for the reception or make any sign of commitment other than showing up there are going to be consequences when we say no to the call of God there are adverse results for ourselves and for others at the very least we miss out on life in all its fullness which is what Jesus said he had come to bring but that's not just a message, if you like, for those who have not yet received Christ. Just because you're here this morning and have been coming here for donkey's years or invited Christ into your life 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, it doesn't mean that there isn't a continuing invitation to respond. The word invite in this story is used several times and it's the word kaleo, which means call to call there is always the call of God on our lives to do this or that to change this or that to be this or that the call of God never stops and so we can find that as busy Christians mature Christians Christians serving in the church we can still be responding to that call with the same excuses I'm too busy. I have other things to attend to. Not now, Lord. And when we're deaf to the present call of God on our lives, then we, not only are we missing out, others may be missing out because of how God wants to bless them through us. There are always consequences for actions and for non-actions. The uh, 
former bishop, or still a bishop, you're always a bishop, aren't you, if you've made a bishop, Tom Wright, but a former bishop of Durham and biblical scholar, says this about the parable. This parable often bothers people because it doesn't say what we want it to say. We want to hear a nice story about God throwing a party open to everyone. We want, as people now fashionably say, to be inclusive, to let everyone in. We don't want to know about judgment on the wicked or about demanding standards of holiness. We want to hear that everyone is exactly right as they are, that God loves us as we are and doesn't want us to change. But when the blind and lame came to Jesus, he didn't say, well, you're all right as you are. He healed them. They wouldn't have been satisfied with anything less. When the prostitutes and extortioners came to Jesus, he didn't say, you're all right as you are. His love reached them where they were, but his love refused to let them stay as they were. Love wants the best for the beloved. And so lives then are transformed and healed and changed. So, in rejoicing in and accepting this wonderful wedding to which we're invited, an invitation and a welcome for all, let's not miss out on the word of warning. But not let's not get that, again, too out of place. When we have enough sense and humility to accept the call of God on our lives, not ignoring it, opposing it, when we do that, then we are at a true feast of God's love and grace and favour upon us. That's what we would long to see more people in Western experiencing. It's what we pray for in the Alpha Group at the moment and in our relationships with our neighbours, with our family, with our friends, with our children, our grandchildren.